Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The entire entry into salvation, our whole standing with God, the whole scope of our Christianity is uh, captured here in these two verses of Romans 5. Our purpose, our reason for living, our access to God, our standing with God, the benefits of being in relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Son, who gave himself, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, as a offering unto God for us. Gave himself so that we can live. We have the whole salvation experience in two verses. John 3.16 captures salvation in a single verse. We have many, many succinct or short sayings in the Bible, verses, phrases that also capture salvation in a very brief manner. And here it says, let me go to the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, our lives were all wrong. We were wrong. God made us right with him. Many of us have heard testimonies right here of what we have been through, people have been through, how they've been in the dark and doing dark deeds. Sometimes we need to remember from where God took us from to really appreciate where he has brought us to. Sometimes it's easy to think that I'm good and I'm okay. And it's always been this way. Many people we speak to, I have spoken to, when the Lord Jesus is introduced to them, salvation is introduced, the Bible is introduced, Christianity is spoken about to them. One of the first things I hear is I'm good. I'm a good person. Speaking of themselves. Or I've always believed in God. The belief in God that can save a person from destruction must show itself by adherence or abiding obedience to God's commandments. There's no other salvation. There is no salvation where a person believes in God and that they're doing good things. They surrender their sins at the foot of the cross and departed from Lives of destruction and self-destruction. That wrong lifestyle, the wrong place where we live, we lived in another country. It was a country of the devil's domain. He was the ruler, we were the subjects. The Lord took us out of there and made us right. Where we were wrong, 
as we're going to see in this chapter, when we were ungodly. Ungodly. I remember waiting for a bus in Brooklyn early in the morning to go to a job over 30 years ago. And there's a member of the health club where I worked part-time before. And I remember seeing him with his briefcase, I believe, or jogging. I forget which it was that, that morning. He might have been jogging early in the morning. But he had been saved from cancer and uh, yet a perverse individual thought that if he runs, he can prevent cancer from coming back and everything we find, not knowing the condition of his soul. And when I saw him early in the morning while I was waiting for the bus to go to work, he knew that I was sharing the word of God at that health club at that time after being healed myself dramatically of asthma. He said to me in a sarcastic manner, what on earth are you doing here at this ungodly hour? Here's a heathen man, lost in his perverseness, still God loved him, gave his life for him, but he didn't want that. He chose something else. God had mercy and delivered him from a deadly disease. He says they removed a cancer from his throat, the size of a golf ball, I believe. And he dedicated himself to running and running all hours of the day and night to be fit, not knowing that our days are in God's hands. And that eternal life is where it really matters. Everything else will go. And he's asking me, what am I doing, one who's sharing the word, at an ungodly hour? That's to say that this is an hour in which, obviously, early dawn or pre-dawn, wintertime, it's darkness. So even the heathen know ungodliness has to do with darkness cover for doing things that are not usually even seen as good by society. Especially when they know the effects of certain behaviors and activities that happen under the cover of dark. Romans 5 says, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Furthermore, not only did he excuse us, or I should say pardon us, there's an excuse sin, he pardoned our ungodliness. He made us right in God's sight by faith. He granted us peace and he brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we can stand and confidently and joyfully look to God, sharing his glory. This is exactly what it says here in the New Living Translation, Romans 5, 1 to 2. If any of us ever get tired of hearing about salvation, ever get tired of hearing about from where God took us and where he has brought us to, if any of us are too busy and want to learn other things, think that I know that. Can I hear something deeper? 
we're actually in the dark. We become blind. We should have such a sensitive conscience to the absolute rescue that God effected in our lives. Never forget, never thank him enough for. If we don't have this salvation, we don't appreciate it, we don't understand what God has done, what he has wrought in our lives, we will go back, we'll become blind, just like it says in Second Peter 1. A person who's forgotten from what he was purged from, she was purged from, cleansed from, the volitional or willful things we've done against the Lord. God pardoned us. He didn't have to. But he did. If we forget that, we will go back, by and by, to becoming proud, arrogant, jealous, quarrelsome. All unchristian behavior will return. We've been made right. Thank you, Jesus. We've been made right. In whose sight? Man's sight? Our own sight? In the one who sees everything through and through. The only one's judgment that matters, ultimately. God's judgment. God's assessment. And we've been made right. Because we believe. We have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. It's extremely humbling to hear this for the person whose heart is in the right place. But extremely boring and even irritating, even quote-unquote basic for those who are not in the right place spiritually. So this can be a litmus test, if you will, and ask the test of sorts. When we hear about Jesus, when we hear the name of Jesus, do we understand and instantly do our hearts, as we heard the prayer after worship, yearn for Jesus Christ? Can we say truly, Lord, more than anything else in this life, honestly, if I'm planning to get married, it doesn't matter to me whether it happens or not. What matters to me is above that, that I see Jesus, I'm ready to meet him. Not that marriage isn't important. It's not in God's will for people. Someone's waiting for a big breakthrough in their business. All the excitement and suspense is built up. They're on the threshold of receiving something. Heart of hearts, in their heart of hearts, can they say, say, my, my true desire is to see Jesus more than anything else. On the threshold of buying something new, maybe a new house, new car, new this, new that. Our favorite book or movie came out. Those were still growing in the basic areas. We can really know where our hearts are if we really honestly sit down and think, I have these desires unfulfilled that I'm looking forward to. And on this side, I have these problems, these trials unresolved in the midst of life with the pros and cons the positives and negatives the good times and the bad times where is my heart is it where Jesus is and is my first love still the Lord may the Lord help us to allow the spirit of God to sift through our hearts 
See if we really love Jesus like we ought to. If not, it's a good thing and a good time to repent. Say, Lord, I never ever want to leave you as my first love. People of the world say talk is cheap. It's true and it's not accompanied by action. When we say things, we have to really investigate our own hearts and say, Lord, is it true when I say I love you? You're my first love and you're my everything. More than anything, Lord, I want to know you, love you, serve you. Is it really true? When we love the Lord, we can face any trial. Many, many songs in this world talk about human love, how a person will climb any mountain and go through any sea and all such things in the name of love, human love. How much more for divine love, the love that will never truly die, truly never die. Human love will go, no matter what people say, cross my heart and forever. And It's temporal. But when God's love is in that human heart, it's everlasting. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. The whole direction has been changed in our lives. Are we still on that path? Are we still fervent? Say, Lord, I want to please you, not myself. I want to please you and not live to please man. Now, having this as the foundation, we can go to verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Someone says that's easier said than done. Surely all of us know what that means. Depending on the severity of the trial. When a trial comes along that takes everything out of you. There's nothing left. Nothing. Nothing left. No hope. From the human perspective. We have a God on whom our eyes are set. And he pulls us through. With his firm, loving grasp. Not only does he pull us through and teach us endurance. Shows us that victory is assured. Hallelujah. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For some people, the problem and trial is being late for work. Hearts can start beating fast. They can start thinking all kind of what if scenarios and think about maybe I'll get written up or get a pay cut or maybe I'll miss this, that, that or the other thing in the office and late for this and late for school, late for that presentation, late for... That becomes their trial of the day. For others, they're fighting for their lives. I've always been helped since I was very young, maybe because I came close to death so many times, of thinking in extreme cases or extreme scenarios. It really helps my perspective. Whenever I 
used to get worked up about something otherwise normal for an adolescent or adult going through the obligations and needs of the day, things we need to do. When something doesn't seem to work out or seems like it's not going to work out, we begin to think how to remedy that. And it can consume our attention, our energy. But then I would get in the mail a missions newsletter. As I was going to work, I'll open that mail up and my heart will be transported. All that I was worked up seems to simmer down, settle down. And I see the eternal perspective of somebody who's destitute on the other side of the world. I see in pictures and words the joy on their faces when they received salvation as well as a helping hand from missionaries who risked their lives. I'm thinking it's happening now and here I am on a bus going to work. I'm thinking about my things. I begin to feel my heart warmed and I get the eternal perspective again. The word of God will keep us in the right place in our minds, our attitudes, our spirits. So we don't get caught up in things in place and unjustified value and put pressure on ourselves and others to get something met that after all is trivial, especially when we have the living God, when prayer can not only solve the problem, but can bring peace to our hearts. God is teaching us to depend upon him. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials For we know that they help us develop endurance, a perseverance, something that we don't just automatically get. We have to go through something for it to be exercised and developed. There has to be opposition in order for strength to be revealed. God's strength in my weakness, perfect strength. And endurance or perseverance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Trials are tied to salvation. God has given us salvation, assurance that we have crossed from death to life. John chapter 5. When we believed in him. Now in the journey before we get to heaven, the final redemption. Trials will come to try to make us bail out and give up. That's the enemy's objective. God's objective is the trials will make us stronger, more confident in our hope of salvation that God is coming soon. My deliverer is at hand. Hallelujah. What the world talks about light at the end of the tunnel, we know it's not some abstract saying. Christ is the light. He is our Savior. He is at the door. Blessed be his name. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In the midst of trials, God imparts his peace as we look to him when we are exhausted beyond all means. When we're brought to the Red Sea, God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord.
this miracle. Hallelujah. All glory be to his name. And he imparts his love, filling our hearts. He says, I'm here. I love you. I'm able to deliver. I will. Hold on, hold fast. Deliverance of the Lord is at hand. When we were utterly helpless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. It wasn't an average person that he died for. Someone who's mediocre, not interesting, not accomplished, just a regular person. Doesn't really deserve it. Didn't really achieve much. And here comes salvation from God. No, he came for the people in the gutter. Sin is that contaminating, that hideous, that offensive, that evil. Knowing full well the pride of our hearts, the Bitterness that we exhibit toward others and all the stuff that we did before. God seeing how wicked we were, how ungodly. It's for such people that he died. Can we love anyone or anything more than we should love Jesus? Seeing what he did for us. What love? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. That is, you see one who's moral and upright, doing the right thing. Okay, I guess he's a righteous person, not evil or anything. Yeah, you can give him salvation. Oh, look at this one. He's not only somebody who's moral and all that, but he's actually going the extra mile. He's doing other things, benefit others, sacrificing his time. You see, it's not just his own moral goodness for himself. But here is a person who is sacrificial and helping others and going beyond. Maybe that one is more worthy to die for. Lord, what about him? But God demonstrates his love to me, to you. We weren't righteous when he found us. We were not good. Opposite. Took us from the guttermost to the heights, to the uttermost. To sit with him at his banqueting table, not only as his guest of honor, but as his own child. What can we say to these things? God be for us. Who can be against us? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified, now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This shows us that if God has saved me, saved you, through his blood, we don't have to fear the future. We don't have to fear any wrath. Because although the world is under the wrath of God continuously, we've been rescued from his wrath. Because the time we were enemies before God, he came and made peace with us. When we were enemies, through the death of his son, it cost something. Much more having been reconciled, not that we're in the family of God, we should be saved by his life, his living to justify us. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Even through the trials, 
They have fellowship with the Most High God. Job had fellowship with God. David, when he went through trials, not because he sinned, but when he was living right, when he went through unprovoked harassment and assault from people like Saul, David maintained his steadfast hope in God. Very quickly, I want to go to James chapter 1. You may be facing trials yourself. God is helping us to see what kind of foundation we're standing on. Because that will determine how we face the trial. James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Obviously he's writing to the Jews. Greetings. Our Jewish believers. My brethren. Count it all joy. When you fall into various trials. Right at the beginning of his letter. Instead of saying how are you doing and this what I'm up to. He says, greetings, my brothers, when you go through different trials, I want you to be joyful. Understand that the testing of your faith produces, there's that word again, perseverance or endurance. We just read in Romans 5, we go through the trials, faith is tested. Patience is produced. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect. Or mature. Growing really. And complete. Lacking nothing. And through the trial, if we need wisdom, God says, I'll give it. When you go through hard times, difficult times. Remember that the Lord says, I will make sure something good comes out of this. My name is glorified and you are promoted. How? Faith to faith. The term faith to faith, beginning of Romans, is not only one person's faith to another person's faith. That is from one salvation that's happened to one person and then another person how the kingdom of God and the church of God grows, but it's also the level of faith that an individual has that has grown. There's been a growth spurt even through the birth pangs. As people even in our church have experienced another growth in their prayer life, in their own grasp of God's truth and holding on to him and believing him and continuing to persevere, not give up. God has put us in the body to seek him together, that the spirit can work in us together, to develop our faith together. And the prayers become more and more powerful, not because they're louder, not because they're tears necessarily, along with the prayers, although they could signify definitely the person's being drawn even closer to God. Not necessarily because the prayers are long, 
or short. There's something that God sees, the integrity and the true nature that's behind the person who prays. Whether a person has power with God or not is determined by whether they're honest in their lives before God, truly humble, not looking to impress anyone, speaking to God with reverence, faith. Number three, whether they are holy, separated from everything in the world, is ungodly. Used to be ungodly, no more. Now we're godly, no more Harry Potter, no more of this and that worldly thing that is contaminating and a lie. Struggle is over. Truly, I've surrendered all to Jesus now. The things of God really get my attention and I love to be where God is. Can't be in two places at one time. The person's come to that point. When there's an honesty in the life, even in the minutest details, the conscience enlightened by the Holy Spirit says, no, you should should have done that better. What? You mean like when I was told to set the table or I had to do this and there's a slight deviation and I could have done it better. Nobody's going to notice. Who cares? Wait a minute. But I'm God's child. I'm doing it before the Lord. Let me do it right. There's a growth. There's an integrity there. Honesty. No more pushing things underneath the carpet. Or doing something when no one's looking. That I wouldn't do when people are looking. And a genuine humility. Say, Father, I'm before you. You're my everything, Lord. You speak and I'll obey. I need you, Lord. Oh, God, help me to come to the point of surrender. And we do it. And then we say, Lord, I want to be not only separated from the things of the world, I want to be holy. I want to get to be more like you, your divine personality, your nature, Lord, help me, oh, God. We could pray these things over and over again and say, what a failure. You know, I've been praying this and I see things still need to change. That's okay. The main thing is that we know the goal. We're after it instead of giving up, which is what the enemy wants. And we mingle, we fellowship with people who are on the same path. Not people who say, you can do it, live with it. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, so deal with it. No. We have a perfect Savior, so we're going to keep looking at him and he's going to keep changing us. That's how we're going to deal with it. Hallelujah. Want to be like Jesus, truly holy, and then have love. Kind of love that says, not my will, Lord, your your will be done. And Lord, it's not about me. It's about what I can do for other people. To help them, Lord, to come to know you through my kind deeds, through my love, through my patience. Oh, I have a job to do in this life. That's to represent my king. And to draw people to salvation so they can be saved and not go to hell and enjoy his presence. But let patience have its perfect work, even through the trial. No more me-centered or self-centered through the trial. God, I do want deliverance. I do want peace. I do need rest. Father, may your name be glorified and may may I be well-pleasing to you. I know you bring me forth as gold. But let endurance have its perfect work. And you may be perfect, mature and complete, lacking nothing. Blessed be God's name.